I'm Brian Fabian Crane and I'm here with Sebastian Couture. We just got back from Amsterdam where we attended Bitcoin 2014 conference, which took place from May 15th to 17th. It was the second conference organized by the Bitcoin Foundation and over 1,000 people gathered for three days of talks and conversations. We had the opportunity to interview many speakers and attendees and talk about their projects and perspectives. We will release those episodes over the coming weeks. So today, guys, we have a very interesting chat with Adam Cleary, founder of Bullion Bitcoin, and Tomasz Bloomer of Bits of Proof, who also developed Bullion Bitcoin. We talked about Bitcoin to gold exchanges and how important it is for exchanges to perform on-chain transactions in this post-Gox era. Then I ran into Frédéric Martin and Nicolas Baca, two French guys building a portable hardware wallet solution and who've already developed a USB smart card which contains your private keys and signs your transactions. I also bumped into a fellow podcaster, Patrick Melton, of Coincider This, and we kind of consoled each other after not winning the blockchain awards for most influential podcast. Anyway, congratulations to Let's Talk Bitcoin for winning this award. You guys deserve it. And finally, Marco Pierboom, CEO of Coinvoice, tells me about his service, which allows merchants and contractors to invoice in fiat and get paid in Bitcoin and vice versa. So Adam Cleary from Bullion Bitcoin, um, a gold to Bitcoin exchange. I'm Thomas Bloomer from Bitsuproof. I developed uh, an exchange that uh, Adam operates. It's actually his exchange. I'm just a developer. Yeah. <laughs> doing the hard work. Yeah. He did the hard work. Right. Now he's doing the hard work. Uh, now I'm doing the hard work. <laughs> yeah. Thomas did some great work building the site. And as I say, it has some fantastic features, which Thomas is able to describe better but as I say the, the big feature is real-time auditability so we have what I call allocated Bitcoin so effectively you can check you you you, um, you can check your balance against the blockchain at any time effectively and you have your own wallet address yeah. for your bitcoins in your account that are on the blockchain and so it's it's client money segregation and real-time auditability but uh, just a question on that so if i log in i see you know my address or my bitcoin store and i can check on the blockchain but there's no way to verify that you for example you know if one thinks of a malicious scenario would use the same address and show it in different accounts uh, well you, you you see on that address uh, your transactions so so if you if you already traded something on the exchange, then you can see that the history of this address is your history and not oh, the history okay. of somebody else. Yeah, okay. Everything is on chain. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. So yeah. because this exchange is not not like a high frequency exchange, but yeah. it's an exchange that does uh, several fixings a day. Okay. Uh, so no, we that makes sense. every yeah. fixing, we are basically the orders for cust- for for different customers are crossing. This creates a fixing and creates a, a single Bitcoin transaction for that fixing that reallocates the, the customer so holdings. So you do like one single transaction and with like loads of inputs and outputs? Like well, this is optimized, so it depends on how much it has to do, but that's yeah. the principle. Yeah? Okay. Now this seems to be have become very important, this thing, client segregation uh, yeah. of addresses. Uh, has, has that been an important shift for you since uh, the Mt. Gox uh, well, I mean, fiasco? Or when, has this always been a focus? When we it's always been a focus when we conceived the exchange and you know I thought about it I thought an exchange should have segregation of client money and this is clearly very important and then Mt. Gox happened 
at the end of the time when Tomas was developing it. It actually just going live as Manbox Man yes, happened. we went live as Manbox <laughs> so was very yeah. Actually, a demonstration. It's a perfect PR why, move. Why it was really that. needed to yeah. do something yeah, like yeah, exactly. it's an unfortunate demonstration. So it turns out to be a good bet. To, we uh, think so. Yeah. So yeah. what's your business model then? Uh, in what sense? I mean, to acquire as many users as possible and yeah. to create a community right. of people who want to trade Bitcoin to gold and gold to Bitcoin. Okay. I mean, the way that I see it is that gold and Bitcoin are brothers in arms. They're complementary. So gold, if you combine gold with Bitcoin, it monetizes gold. It makes the transmission of gold much easier than carrying physical gold around with all the security issues that that has. And at the same time for Bitcoin, it gives Bitcoin a sort of tangible physical portal in the real physical world if you like so so uh, the marriage of the two is is powerful and optimizes both assets in my view bitcoin on its own is fine but it it has it sort of lacks something i think of tangibility of physicality gold on its own is fine but it lacks the ability to transmit itself easily globally across borders so the two together i think are very powerful because you get the three features of money really nailed the store of value unit of account medium of exchange so effectively you can create a parallel monetary system purely around gold and bitcoin so i've heard you i think you asked it somewhere but the question of you know whether bitcoin is digitally scarce uh, and and I've been thinking about the same thing for a while, and I I feel I kind of share the view that maybe it's not quite as scarce as we really think because uh, a lot of these uh, currencies are really substitutes. Sure. So uh, has your thinking on that changed since you started, or not really? I mean, uh, <laughs> I know it's heresy to raise raise issues like that at a Bitcoin conference, but I, I'm just saying uh, when I was asking that question, I was just saying. Let's not be so convinced that we are right that we don't admit the possibility yeah. or countenance the possibility that we may be wrong. And effectively, um, you know, what what I was asking was in the context of a presentation where someone was saying that an asset that has a 5,000-year history is about to be supplanted with an asset which has a five-year history. Well, maybe, but yeah. let's just consider the possibility that that might not be correct. And I think, you know, we although five years have passed and the technology has become more proven, I, I think, you know, even Tomas maybe, I don't know, would agree or not agree, but th there is a possibility that Bitcoin may not be the ultimate digital currency or may not. It, it's a possibility, maybe only a 10% possibility. Or, or you may have various simultaneously have, and yeah. then the 21 million doesn't really become that relevant anymore. Exactly, right? yes, yes. I, I would like to point to another interesting feature of this exchange, just not having the theoretical discussions, um, that uh, the addresses are not only segregated by customer, uh, but they are also multi-signature addresses. So that means that the, um, the the access to these to these funds are uh, limited to two out of three owners of keys, and these two uh, two key so one key is owned by uh, the operator Adam, another key is owned by a, a, a legal entity that is administering the exchanges and and a different person, different physical location, and so on. And the third key is basically what the customer is controlling with a second factor authentication. Mm -hmm. So with okay. this. With this combination, 
and we have uh, uh, a security that, uh, again, the exchange on its own cannot just move out of the segregated accounts. So you not only have the, convi- have the visibility of the funds, but you have the guarantee that it's not a, there is not a single point, that a failure, that, that could, could move this money out because there are at least two different legal so entities. Two out of the three yeah. multi so basically a trading, a regular trading is happening, with the fixing is happening, that basically uh, Adam and the administrator signs. So these are the two that match an order. And for example, in a, in a customer redemption case where the customer wants to withdraw money, then the customer signs and the administrator signs. But Adam doesn't need to sign. I don't, he yeah. doesn't need for that. For withdrawals, you don't so sign. I don't sign because deliberately I don't want to yeah. touch people's money. No, that's, uh, I think that's great. Yeah. So you, you sign for the, if I want to trade, I basically yes. give you an order to trade. Exactly. And then yeah. you and the administrator yeah. sign and withdraw. Absolutely. The administrator sign. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. In a trade situation, we can't allow the customer to block it once they've made an order, a binding order, because otherwise oh, if they could do they that, they could, game they, could, they could game us yeah. and go backwards on it. So, But at the same time, we wanted a second pair of the four eyes principle. We wanted a second legal entity to operate and say, hang on, is this fixing reasonable? Is the price right? Are the allocations between the different receiving and sending parties correct? So, as Thomas said, I, I make the fixing. I say, this is the fixing, strike the fixing. Okay, at this price, fixed, right? Then it's sent, as it were, to the administrator. The administrator looks at it and says, yes, this is reasonable, and he countersigns. And those are the two signatures. Yeah. And again, it means that I can't just move bitcoins around on my own, which... I should not be able to do. No exchange should be able to do that, frankly. I think that's great. I'm really curious. So I think this works, right, because you do the fixing. I'm curious, do you think there will be ways to do something similar for exchanges that allow, like, a high volume of trading or frequent trading? The, the, the multi-signature would be feasible with some additions. If, if you also create tools that are so easy to use, like if you... If you give, like, use a treasure device or something that is very quick to fix, to, to, to sign, so if you invest into that. Um, so I think the multi-sig is, uh, is probably solvable to be much quicker. I'm not, I'm not, don't know how, how I would solve for high frequency, but at least it could be quite much, much quicker. Uh, certainly the auditability on the blockchain is, a, is something that is a, is a core property of the system. Yeah, that, so that be we, we cannot we cannot right. commit instantaneously because it takes time until it commits to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. So we could only commit uh, like aggregations of trades, but it would be still possible, which, which actually I think exchanges should do. It should be still possible to at least end of day commit the money to segregated customer funds. It yeah. should be possible. It should be. It should. At the end possible. of the day, they should be doing that. I guess, instead, they're pooling yeah. mm-hmm. client assets in one big Bitcoin account. But I guess the issue would also be the transaction costs if you do it with a... Well, that's, that's, a, that's a minimal transaction cost, but uh, it certainly has a security benefit. Instead, yeah. of, uh, it, 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 I, I'm quite sure that it, it feels much more secure for a customer if he can see his money and that the history of that account is, is his account history. So that, that implicitly gives a guarantee that the exchange as a whole has the, has the funds it claims because... Every, if, if, if no customer is crying, then apparently all the money is there. <laughs> yeah. So do you think in the future we will have uh, big exchanges that are fiat to Bitcoin that will use a similar architecture? I hope that customers force them to do something like that. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We, we, and 
Yes, as Thomas said, we would hope that customers would say, you need to do this, it is just not acceptable for you to put everything in one big pool and that we don't know what is in Look, look uh, basically Megox and the similar exchanges are, are, are operating like the old world. So we have a new digital world with its proofs. That's why my company is called Bits of Proof because I think that's the most that's the vision of this whole story that you have proofs of what you are doing. This is a this is a financial system not built on trust on proofs. So I think it it is just totally like necessary that if you work in this new new uh, new realm, you are not requiring trust but you are providing proofs. Yeah, Megox is just, or others are asking you to trust, and that's the wrong thing. That's that's the past. Exactly. Have you ever considered um, doing a fiat as well, adding fiat? To I mean, I, I sort of did consider it. The problem with the problem with fiat is that it requires interacting with the fiat world, and the fiat world in the UK has been very reluctant to yeah. provide any access to any Bitcoin business and uh, to provide any banking. We, we think we might be about to solve that problem for, actually for a separate entity for the UK DCA, the local Bitcoin yeah. association in the UK. And if we do, then maybe we could solve it in the future for this sort of thing. But to, to be frank, the exchange was conceived from a more purist ideological point of view of saying, you know, we, we say goodbye to the fiat world, we leave that world behind, they can continue to operate their world. We want to create a new paradigm the new paradigm is that, um, you know, we have a world that effectively, in my opinion, should involve some sort of reserve asset like gold, which has historically been a reserve asset for many thousands of years, and excepting only the last 40, and, and Bitcoin. Um, and, and, you know, that this, this will be a much, in my view, a much better world, a much better monetary system that excludes these systems of promises and, and claims and debt and the creation of debt and the creation out of money out of thin air, which benefits the people who are able to create this money. And instead we have a system which, frankly, is more rooted in the past of, of you know, reality and ownership. I could also imagine in the future, I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, Bitcoin's become less volatile in the future. And I think to some extent that's true, but I, I don't think, I personally don't believe that it's become, we're going to become very stable at any time in the next five years or something. Sure, sure. So I could see also that something like this would become a way if you want to be mainly a Bitcoin yes, business, yes. but you want to hedge some of the volatility. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. That was also the idea is that it provides uh, a sort of a reserve that you can go back to yeah. without having to go to the fiat world. And about the volatility, I mean, volatility is just a question of what your, what your denomination is, how you think. So yeah. if we were to say, let's forget about the dollar and let's do everything in Bitcoin, then we would all think in Bitcoin and it would be irrelevant what the dollar Bitcoin price was doing. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's all it's because we start from the point of view of saying we, we think of things in dollars and then we translate. Things but are priced you, in of course, the that's true. Right? Absolutely. So the great battle is to get things priced in an alternative. I think you're a very currency. long way from that. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. But but uh, it could be interesting for a company like Blockchain and Info, for example. Right? Sure. I mean, if they're a real Bitcoin company and they want to hedge some of that yeah, currency yeah. risk. It's absolutely possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we've had some conversations like that. So.
Okay, so I'm here with Frédéric Martin, Nicolas Baca, and you guys are French. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course. Horrible accent. You, you there, there are more. I've, I've been seeing more and more French people uh, here, so it's very. It's. I mean, compared to uh, the Berlin conference where I was in February, the French are much more present, which is great. Uh, That's like, right. I'm, I'm very happy to see that the, you know, the French ecosystem is growing, and that you know, guys are coming out to, to the conference. So, tell us about. Uh, Prison aside, prison aside, yeah. Uh, well, you, you may already know us uh, from the BT Cheap uh, uh, project, yeah, uh, which is a uh, uh, hardware wallet based on smart card uh, that can be used uh, uh, in uh, USB ports. So this is an interesting because essentially um, this is just uh, like a credit card size card, and there's a little insert and. Uh, basically a USB key built right into the card yeah. and you flip it over it clips and you've got a USB key which is uh, going to sign your transactions yes and yeah. the, the main goal was already to protect the, your private key so you can generate the key the, the private key directly inside the smart card and after that you can only ask the smart card to sign the transaction that means that private keys never leave the smart card And you don't have to worry about the security of your private key. They can't be stolen. They can't be hacked anymore. Um, and this is the first great step to uh, we offer as uh, a security uh, smart card experts. What what seems very interesting about this product is that I mean it must be very cheap to produce. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the price to be uh, it's about ten uh, euros uh, each card. Yeah. So it's a rather cheap solution, but will really strong security. And so, how does it work exactly? Um, you use the card to generate a seed. I mean, because if you lose the card, you're yes, of course yeah. because so. uh, uh, the private key is uh, securely stored. But even you, with the smart card, uh, pin code, can't extract the private key. So what about backup? Of course, if you can uh, lose your or break your smart card. Uh, you, we are using HD wallets, and uh, that uh, means you, you, the first time you are using the platform, you you'll be presented uh, a, a seed, an initial seed. You can back up on paper or whatever you want, and from that seed, if you lose your smart card, you can recreate the tree of all the private key. And so, what if I don't trust the the seed generation on that card can I bring my own seed yes you can import your own seed if you don't have confidence on the random name number generator of the smart card you can import your own seed okay and um, what what wallets does this work with right now uh, the first one so we we were discussing uh, right now about the hardware wallet or the BT chip uh, project so you can uh, use uh, it with with a modified crypto kit Uh, wallet system it's a, a Chrome web browser plugin you can use so if you uh, go to hardwarewallet.com uh, uh, you'll be able to, to do that to do that with the sample of uh, BT chip uh, card but uh, right now uh, on this exhibition we're presenting the Prism Side project yeah which is this uh, contraption right here there are two things in the Prism Side project the first is about the new uh, Uh, the new smart card that will have a fully open source operating system. This is a, a world first. 
because usually you just have to trust the security of the smart card. You don't have access to the code, source code of the operating system. So soon we will release the, the, the code for that system. And then uh, we were thinking about the second major problem, the client side of the Bitcoin uh, architecture. Uh, okay, you, you can have uh, a secure storage for your private key, but you can be lied about the, the transaction. In fact, we are all using insecure environments as a software uh, clients. Yeah, I mean, so, right here we're using the conference Wi-Fi. Who knows if somebody's trying to, like, man yes. in the middle attack uh, and, any, all these transactions we're doing right here and in the even conference. even the software can tell you, okay, yeah. uh, all for Bitcoin for my friend, okay, but behind your back, a malware can forge another transaction and you're saying, okay, for the wrong transaction. So... That's why in, on the Prism side project, there is a, an hardware uh, side. This is a, a portable small card reader with a touchscreen on it. So you all can use the new smart card inside that portable reader. Okay. It communicates uh, through Bluetooth uh, with uh, uh, smartphones and tablets and through USB for desktop and workstations. Okay. Um, then when you are doing your transaction, um, first, you have to enter your PIN code on the touchscreen, so okay. the first security. And the second security feature is that the small smart card reader will remind you uh, what are the ongoing real uh, transaction details. So if your desktops uh, lie about the transaction, the smart card reader won't lie and say what are the real transactions uh, before you getting your approval. You won't approve by mistake another wrong transaction. And so uh, this is a prototype right here. Uh, this is a this is a Raspberry Pi uh, that's got a touchscreen on it. It's in a nice case. So um, this seems pretty bulky. This is a, you're, built, you're building something yes. much smaller than this, right? So, yes, you're right. It's a kind of bulky uh, prototype. It's based on the Raspberry Pi. So, of course, it's too big. But... Uh, our goal is to provide a portable, smaller one. Uh, people can always uh, have on their pocket. Uh, so, of course, uh, it's a hardware challenge for us. And we are going to uh, crowdfund the, this project on Indiegogo uh, crowdfunding website. And so when is that crowdfunding camping uh, coming up? When, <laughs> when is that uh, crowdfunding campaign coming? Uh Probably uh, not next week, the week after, so uh, end of this month. Okay, so there's going to be an Indiegogo campaign to crowdfund the, uh, the hardware portable wall, reader. The problem, portable reader. Cool. Um, and uh, is there anything you want to add, Nicholas? Hmm? Is there anything you want to add? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ju- just that the campaign basically will be for the funding and the portable reader and the card as well. So people will be able to get both. And we'll keep you updated, of course, with progress on the source code and progress of probably demonstration prototype using different form factors in between, I mean, when the campaign is launched and when the products are delivered. So uh, estimately by the end of the year. Awesome. And so where can we find all this on- online? What's your website? Uh, Prismside.com. Prismside.com and also btchip.com? btchip.com for the uh, already available uh, smart card uh, with USB form factor. Cool. Thanks, guys. So I'm here with Patrick Melton. 
And from uh, Coin Center, this fellow podcaster. Yeah. We just met up outside the passenger terminal as I was coming back to get some batteries for a recorder. Here on a beauty, beautiful, sunny Amsterdam day. Yeah, we're pretty lucky for weather because it's been shit here for yeah. the last couple of weeks. I've been here uh, I've been here during the winter before. This is nice. This is much nicer out here. Cool. So how are you enjoying the conference? Uh, great so far. A lot of people here and uh, it's good to meet a lot of people that you've talked to before over email and talked to, uh, you know... Skype and stuff, and I never met face to face. So it's yeah, really cool. yeah. No, I'm, I'm fighting. Like I was at the Berlin conference in February. I don't know if you were there. Uh, Berlin? No, I wasn't. No. Um, there's a lot of people here. <laughs> it's yeah. A, it's a much bigger conference. Like this is my second Bitcoin conference. Yeah. And um, yeah, this is definitely not, not the biggest one I've been to, but really. Yeah. I suppose there's some huge ones in the U.S. also. Uh, the, and there's, uh, I guess they're doing this Bitcoin in the Beltway one in, in June. It's going to be really big, I think. So uh, just because it's in Washington, D.C., yeah. a lot of regulators are going to be sending delegates. and So So what are your thoughts on this conference? Uh, it's been pretty fun so far. I've gone to a lot of the Inside Bitcoin conferences. Yeah. And uh, while I do like those, they do have a different, different uh, flair to them. And they also tend to be the same a lot of the speakers are the same they're giving the same exact talks and kind of just clones of each other so if you've yeah. gone to one you've kind of gone to all of them maybe go to one a year and you'll get some new information but i think you know they're cranking out one every 45 days so yeah yeah and are you coming to any of the other european conferences uh this year i'd love to go there's so many like yeah i mean it's there's there's so many and it's so expensive to get over here i think it cost me three and a half bitcoins for my flight over here oh yeah uh which is painful to spend but <laughs> But there's no other way to do it, I guess. Uh, I don't know if I'll get to another European one this year, but uh, I'd love to do an Asian one. I'd love to go yeah. go kind of the other side. So. That'd be cool, too. Yeah, because yeah. so, yeah, you're in Los Angeles, so it'd be right. you know, maybe easier for you to get the Asian Yeah, I mean, this is about as, what is about, about halfway around the world yeah. from, from where I'm at. So. And uh, so we were both nominated for the... Uh, blockchain awards for why do you have to bring up old things (laughs) (laughs) i think we both knew that let's talk bitcoin was going to win it yeah i i Um, was uh i actually uh there's a video up if you check our youtube channel not to plug our stuff but no one else is filming around here like entire sessions it seems like so yeah uh but i put up a video of uh of the entire blockchain awards you can go check out our loss but at least we're up there for everybody to see and and the nomination (laughs) and yeah, I mean, it's cool. I, I think everybody knew Let's Talk Bitcoin was going to win. They're, yeah. They've been around the longest. They definitely have the largest presence. And, uh, but they weren't even here to get yeah, the award. It's, it's, <laughs> very, it's very strange to not be here. Adam, where are you at? Yeah, Adam. You should have been here. Show yourself. Andreas, where are you at? And Stephanie also. <laughs> and Andreas probably isn't here just because of a, a, a protest at the Bitcoin Foundation. I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, we, we interviewed uh, John about that. That's not really good. Um, yeah. Um, Hoping things were clear, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been great. Everybody's super. You know, the great thing about these things is everybody's friendly. Uh, even competitors get along with each other. Everybody's yeah. just interested in, in projects, and everybody learns from everybody. And I'm finding like I'm finding there's a huge media presence. Like uh, in Berlin, you could just kind of just grab anyone and say, "Hey, you want to do an interview?" And and this time it's like, oh, it's like business, right? Like, sorry, I got to do this other thing with like the Sun Times, and I got to do this other thing with yeah. There's I'm, a lot I got of five minutes in an hour. There's a know? lot of sponsor and yeah. speaker cruises and dinners and uh, functions that that don't involve us lowly pressed folk. <laughs> Podcasters. But no, uh, it's 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 been really fun and cool, and I uh, definitely suggest anybody who's interested in Bitcoin come out to a conference and. Yeah. Definitely uh, download some podcasts. I think that's a great. I think podcasts are pretty pretty cool way to learn 
about the stuff I know when I first got into Bitcoin. Uh, my buddy sitting here with us being silent is, uh, is one of the guys who kind of got me into Bitcoin. And uh, podcasts are a great way, I think, to just dive in and kind of yeah. kind of learn everything from, from a zero level up. So Absolutely. I agree. Um, but, yeah, it was great meeting you, man. And, yeah. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Had a fun conference. <laughs> We're shaking, just in case you're listening to this. We're shaking. It's official. All right, so I'm here with... Marco Perbo. And you're with... Coinvoice. So can you talk to us about that? We can. Um, so Coinvoice is a payment processor, and what we do is we uh, process payments, and it goes in both directions. So it's bidirectional, so you can invoice a customer in uh, U.S. dollars and get paid in Bitcoin, or you can uh, invoice your customers in Bitcoin and get paid in dollars. And that opens up a whole slew of possibilities. And as far as I know at this point, we are still the only ones who go both directions uh, to enable this type of functionality. Awesome. And uh, when did you launch? Um, we launched in September of 2013, but the software started getting written in about, uh, I'm going to say about in May of 2013 or in uh, r around that time, really. Okay. And so uh, I'm curious, like, what's your customer base like? Um, what's your typical customer, if there is one? <laughs> the, well, there really is not. Uh, the services, we actually branded it towards uh, professional services mostly, but it turns out that that, uh, that is a, a good group of customers, but we have them actually all over the place. So uh, the professional uh, services include lawyers, doctors, uh, journalists. We have them uh, pretty widely there. And the reason why they like it is that they can get to accumulate Bitcoin without having to deal with, you know, with borders. It's one of the important things. So if I may, I, I can do an example of one of our customers. Um, he is a, a German journalist, and he writes for an American publication. So um, he writes his articles, and then once a month he generates an invoice on our website. And... Um, and so basically, the, he sends off the invoice and is denominated in U.S. dollars. And then once the money hits our account, we pay him out in Bitcoin uh, at the uh, the appropriate price at, uh, of that moment. So he basically gets to transact uh, with the American company without owning a U.S. bank account, which is you know a powerful thing. Now it strikes me that this would be interesting also for Bitcoin-only companies that want to work with clients that don't want to pay them in Bitcoin, right? And that is actually several of our customers are hardcore Bitcoin guys, and they only do Bitcoin. They are they call themselves natively Bitcoin. Uh, and yes, we actually have several of those. And what they do is they invoice they invoice uh, customers in U.S. dollars, uh, but they get paid in Bitcoin. So and and the customers don't don't know that they are being invoiced in uh, in Bitcoin. They it's just a simple transaction, and they get their Bitcoins the way they want it. So they get to accumulate. Uh, without having to deal with exchanges and, you know, the other things that come with that. Now, what are the fees associated to using Coinvoice? <clears throat> well, that depends on what direction you're going. So if you go from BTC to USD, currently we're uh, uh, assessing a fee of 1% on that one. Uh, if you go from uh, USD to BTC, which is where we're taking a slightly higher risk, currently we're taking 4% on that. Still much lower than your average credit card or PayPal. Um, and those fees are uh, negotiable based on volume and um, in trust. And so do you only deal with U.S. dollars right now or can we also invoice in euros? Uh, the euros are coming pretty quickly at this point. Um, okay. That is one of the things that we've been working on and we are working on additional um, currencies that, that we want to, to start accepting. We're trying to get into South America. There's one of the, um, the places where I think there's a lot of interesting opportunity 
but yes, to answer the question, at this moment, it's BTC and USD. But that wouldn't stop a European business, for instance, using and using your service and just billing in US dollars, right? I mean, that the client is paying with a credit card, right? Right. And actually, to come back to what you said earlier, what's the majority of your customers, right? So the majority of our customers are actually foreigners who want to do business in the United States. Okay. Um, and were kind of shut out before that because it was just too expensive uh, fee-wise. And now they can they, they get to play for much lower fees. And, uh, and, and you know what? Again, there's no... Uh, these folks don't earn, don't. Uh, the target companies are not seeing who's getting billed and what is getting billed. They just pay dollars to a bank account, and and they're all good. And um, as your company continues to grow, what are some of the new innovative services that you tend to uh, offer CoinVoice customers? Well, what we are heading to right now is we are working on a POS system so that people can actually do higher frequency, uh, lower latency payments, if you will. So um, the farmer's market guy is selling a bunch of carrots, right? He needs to, to be able to take payment right then and there and uh, not wait for, you know, seven or six uh, confirmations. So that's the market that we are uh, soon expanding to. So the, the two big things that are coming up, three big things actually, let me go buy them. So it's POS is, is happening soon and that's going to enable uh, the more merchant side of – So that will be an app or, or actual first, hardware? Uh, no, it's going to be an app. So initially HTML5 based. So it's going to be web based and then we're going to start actually doing actual apps. So then we're going to do uh, accounting software. So that's another portion that people want. So uh, we're going to add CSV export so you can import it in QuickBooks and other pieces of software. Okay. So in, in the third thing I was talking about is the multi-currency uh, a thing that we can go do. So we're working on being able to go from uh, USD to BTC, but then we're going to be able to start doing uh, Euro to BTC and BTC to Euro and, uh, and those kinds of things. We're going to add additional currencies there. And altcoins also? Or are you sticking to Bitcoin? Altcoins is an interesting problem for us. Um, I can rant about it for a while. Um, but basically what it comes down to is, is we wrote our own uh, Bitcoin clients. And uh, we are bug for bug compatible. It's the current one, and um, that was a pretty large investment on our end. So, um, but we really like it. It adds functionality that the Bitcoin client doesn't have that we really do want. So, if we are going to do altcoins, it means that we are going to have to modify our software to be able to uh, get into that. Um, not ruling it out. It's just at this moment we just not have made the investment. Awesome. Anything else you want to add? Um, well, come check us out. Have a look at our website. Uh, come see if this is the right business solution for you, and, and I hope to be able to serve you. So you're at coinvoice.com? We are at coinvoice.com. Um, the mother company is actually called conformal.com, and we do a bunch of open source portions of the Bitcoin community, and we welcome people to come and use and look at our software that's freely available out there. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So we hope you enjoyed this episode about the Bitcoin 2014 conference. If you liked our coverage, please consider tipping us at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at epicenterbitcoin.com slash newsletter. And tune in next week for more interviews and coverage of Bitcoin 2014.